I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm sick of all the security stuff. I'm sick of being attacked by scammers of every different imaginable description. But we don't have to because we have two amazing female chief information security officers in the house right now. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. Before we begin, please, please subscribe on YouTube. I need you to do that. So we're talking about Chief Information Security Officer Secrets. We're going to hear everything there is to know. We have two female CISOs in the, in the house. And let's begin. I would like to introduce uh, Joe. Joe, please tell us about who you are and, and what you do. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm Joe Stewart-Rattray. I'm um, Director of Information Security and IT Assurance for a, a firm called BRM Holdage in Adelaide, South Australia. I actually operate mainly as a virtual CISO for a range of different organisations. And uh, Joe, so tell us, what are the key kind of thoughts that you are thinking about right now regarding this topic? Some of the things that I think about is, is actually the understanding of, of what security means to an organisation. I think that's a really important point. Um, some organisations seem to think it happens to the other guy. And, and so it's still something that we battle today. You know, I've been doing this job now for about 15 years and I'm still hearing that. It's like, oh, yeah, but that won't happen to us. We're not a sexy, groovy company. Well, guess what? Okay. Uh, and, and I have to say that right now, Joe, it's four in the morning where you are and you're, you're in the middle of the country. So uh, thanks for being here at four in the morning. And I'm, I'm putting up on the screen this amazing photograph. Tell us what that is. These are birds that live around us. They're, they're Australian native parrots. They're called galahs. And as the sun rises here, you'll actually hear them. So you might, might hear them before the end of the broadcast. So uh, we're a breeding ground for them. And so we have lots of mamas and babies right now. Well, you know, I hope we hear them because I, I think it's just great. And thanks for being here in, in the middle of the night. Our, <laughs> our Our other guest is Tammy Muscaitis, who is with Accenture. Tammy, how are you? And thank you for being here as well. Well, thanks for having me. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my background. I'm currently working for Accenture. I'm a managing uh, director and a security executive that oversees uh, primarily North America. Um, I'm a career CISO by trait. I've uh, been doing that most of my career. I've uh, held roles as CISO at companies like Time Warner Cable, Home Depot, and a few others. Um, and now I get to work with customers around the world and, and uh, be that trusted advisor. So it's very, very fortunate. And, you know, I, how many uh, among your, your peers, I'll ask both of you this, among your peers, how many are, are women? Not many. Um, right now, it's about, um, I, I think, a latest survey that was done um, by SAC, I think was like at 13% of the global or the Fortune 500 were women. And that's not just CISOs. That's CISOs, CIOs, and a senior executives such as a VP in the technology arena. So it's still a very, very small amount. That equates to about 65 companies out of the 500. Yeah, I, look, I'd have to agree with that. I, and I know that it's getting better. Uh, I remember when I first went to a, a, 
security executive forum um, 15 years ago that there were two women. One one was me, obviously, and the other one was the speaker. So it was very small. And I know that, you know, I'm really grateful for ISACA as well, who uh, put on a conference here recently where we had a panel of female CISOs, which I was lucky enough to moderate. So we are seeing more and they're actually really quite active in the space, which is great, and actively promoting the role of a CISO. Yeah, the other piece is, is that ISACA also has a thing called She Leads Tech. And I've been really fortunate of being able to get involved with that program. And really what we've been doing is working with women and getting them more involved, not just in technology, but technology leadership roles and how do they get into the technology workforce and really focusing it on from the younger individual all the way up to people that are willing to make changes in their career. So it's really exciting. Um, just Joe was saying is that, you know, being able to moderate and, and focus on some of these women leadership panels have been uh, very worthwhile. Yeah, Tammy, um, I'm not sure that that even you're aware of this, but I'm actually the um, global lead for She Leads Tech on the volunteer side. I'm the um, the uh, chair of the Women's Leadership Advisory Council for ISACA, and it has had great success. And what we didn't realise when we when we began this this journey was what it was going to mean to women in different parts of the world as well. In some cases in in Africa, I was stunned to realise that we were not only providing a place for women to meet other professionals in the space, but we were also providing a safe space for them to tell some of their stories in, 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 you know, pretty harrowing circumstances. So the program has gone beyond uh, what we had imagined. So, yeah, like you, I love it. I think it's something great that we can can both be a part of and that we can both promote. what we do to other women to, to try and bring as many as we can into the profession. What, what are the keys to bringing women into the, the CISO profession? Yeah, look, it's, you're right. It is a huge question. Um, one of the things that we hear from women, and we've, I've been hearing this for the last few years, is that they feel that there's a lack of mentors, a lack of role models, um, a lack of showcasing of women's careers. We need to be able to see women um, other women doing what we're doing, and I think that's a really important piece of it is to ensure that we can we can show that people like Tammy and I have been doing this for a long while, and and we've survived, and and in fact, it's a great career option. It's not an easy career. Um, that's for sure, right? But I think that um, you have a great point about the mentorship. We really do have a lack of women mentors in the in the yeah. community, and you know, in in light of that, is that as the um, as the individual contributors or the folks that are looking to move ahead in their career are really trying to focus on how do I get that mentor? How do I get that right person to help me get to the next level in my career? Because a lot of what we do every day is by networking. That's how we get to the next level. And, you know, and the other challenges is that, you know, when when, uh, a lot of women say, well, you know, I don't get paid equally as the men do. And then that's also very common. Um, but it's it's getting better. I really do believe it's getting better. Um, but we still have a long way to go. Um, people that think that if they get into a cybersecurity type of role, they're going to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And as a CISO, yeah, pretty much. That's been my life for a long time. Um, but some of the mm-hmm. other roles are more flexible uh, for those that need more flexible work schedule. That's right. And I think that's an important point is, is that flexibility of work schedule. I know that in my world, like yours, Tammy, it's been pretty much like that. I came from the electricity sector originally. So that is 24-7, mm-hmm. 365 days a year. But, you know, you can also cho- choose um, industry sectors, if you like, which will allow far more flexibility too. I think that's the other thing. 
What are some of the other key key factors that we need to put into place in order to uh, prepare younger girls to go into technology as well as to work with established companies to create these role models and create the opportunities in addition? Well, I know that Accenture offers a lot of internship opportunities, and they focus at trying to, um, not just women and not just young girls, but a very diverse work panel of trying to get folks involved and interested in the cybersecurity industry. Most universities even don't even have cybersecurity offerings. And so um, I recently just had somebody reach out and said that they were going into information technology, but their university didn't offer anything on cyber or anything on security offerings, and where would they get that learning so they can actually start doing things? And what I encourage them to do is look for internships um, into organizations that'll help balance out your skill sets, in addition to volunteering to balance out. But it, it's, you know, things are changing rapidly. The, the cyber landscape is, is becoming more and more aggressive. I think also it's about image. It's the image of, of, of our profession as well. I met a fabulous young woman in Ireland a uh, year, bef- year before last, in fact, and she was saying that she came from a family of uh, six boys and herself. And so she was used to that sort of testosterone-driven environment, but there was only one other young woman in their tu- uh, tutorial group of 30 people and she came from a family of all girls. And so for her, the testosterone field environment and the hoodies and the, you know, perhaps less showered young men amongst the group um, really put her off. And, and so I think we really need to do something about the image as well to say it's not all like that. That's just, that's just university. That's not, that's not what our profession is actually like when you get into the hardcore work of it all. So I think we have an image problem uh, and we need to attract young women, we also need, young women need to see um, another person in their own image. So they need to see another woman. If, if they see another young woman, then they'll be in. So I think we need to create opportunities for young women. And I love the idea of internships. I think that's brilliant. And we need to, as I say, we need to, to uh, ratchet up um, our image. I want to remind everybody that we are speaking right now with two chief information security officers. It happens that they're both women and there is a tweet chat taking place right now and you can join in and ask your questions and we'll try to answer them during this live show on Twitter using the hashtag CXO talk. So Joe, let me ask you this. Uh, We talk about CISOs, Chief Chief Information Security Officers, what is it that you guys actually do? That's a very good question, Michael. Um, It's an interesting thing. You know, we have a a high security focus, obviously, and we're dealing with technologists every day who are deep security professionals, if you like. So we often have to find ourselves having to speak the language of business. We're the conduit to our fellows on the executive and indeed the board. So it's um, that in itself can be very interesting, particularly when you are speaking to a board of directors. And, you know, I've had the experience where the board of directors has been largely tech unsavvy because that's not their field. They're there because they're experts in their field, which may be something creative as it was in one instance. And so given that, it's um, our role also becomes one of education. We need to educate 
those people who know that cyber is a thing and know that um, it sounds groovy, but in, indeed, it really we really need to be educating and saying this is what security is, and the lack of that of the proper protections can actually bring your company into disrepute and, in fact, bring your company down. Yeah, you're right. You know, CISOs are really there to protect the data and protect the supporting business um, objectives, right? So when we think about what CISOs used to do, like we said, we used to be the office of no, right? It's like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Um, But really, you know, it's so important for us now to have that business hat. We have to make sure that we understand the business, we understand the risk, and we also share it with the business areas to allow them to make good, solid decisions on what things to accept and what things to move ahead with. You know, when you think about, you know, what we're doing as CISOs today, their vendor risk management's a huge piece of what they do. Compliance, huge piece of what they do. Everything from identity management to foundational security and partnering with the CIOs to make sure that they're there together working in a holistic program is, is just critical. I think you've, you've touched on a good point about risk management as well. You know, all of a sudden, cyber has gone from being you know, information security that was little understood and little known to being something that is a major, can be a major risk to an organisation to the point where it has to be seen as a material risk on the corporate risk register. And that's been a real shift in thinking, particularly for chief risk officers. Yeah, the risk management framework as a whole, you know, has to be properly governed. And that's right from the board of directors, right? That gives the board of directors the information they need to make decisions on whether they need to invest in something or not. And it's very critical. And you see it more and more. I mean, as we sit on boards and as we participate in board of director meetings, um, whether it's our own companies or others, we find that that's a big topic, right? Um, can we make decisions based on the data we have? It is a huge issue. You know, that whole, in fact, I'm doing a piece of work at the moment for a client on that whole data governance piece because um, it's little understood. One of the things that, that I'm finding more and more is organizations don't actually understand the data that they've collected, why they've collected it what they're going to do with it and indeed how they're going to protect it other than very basic uh, because it's scattered throughout the organisation. That's the other issue. Some of the, the most critical um, information can be held in the, in, the, in the oddest places. So that protection piece is a huge one for us and that's something I know I'm certainly talking to my fellow executives and certainly talking to boards of directors about. Yeah, I know that ensuring that critical data is only accessible by those who need the data right, to perform the required tasks. And that's the key word, right? And as we go into more and more compliance, whether it's GDPR or other types of um, things that are out there now from a regulatory perspective, is that we have to make sure we know what we're securing and protected. And we have to make sure our third parties, fourth parties, whomever, are also ensuring that critical data is being secured. Another good point, you know, regulation has changed too. Certainly, you would have seen it, Tammy, as I have over the last 15 years. It's been quite amazing to see that difference on, on you know, we once were so focused on protecting the perimeter of an organisation and the data was secondary. But but now, given the, the regulatory environment, data has become king or queen, essentially. So we have to ensure that we're actually protecting that and protecting it well. We also have to make sure that our compliance uh, um uh, look is right as well, look and feel is right, because that's the other thing. GDPR has brought on a whole new uh, way of thinking. Um, and the interesting thing about that is a lot of people thought it was just going to affect the EU and the UK, but as we know, it actually has a global impact and it affects you sitting in the States and it affects me sitting in Australia. So as as CISOs, we have to be aware of that as well. We have to be aware of the regulatory environment in which our 
organization operates, as well as the context of the organization. Are you primarily uh, business people or technologists? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I would have said the same thing. (laughs) Okay, maybe 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 just elaborate on that. Yes, just a teensy bit. You know, it's so important to understand the business. You know, when you work for um, an organization as a security leader, you really have to be, like we were talking earlier about trusted advisors, but we have to make sure as we're the trusted advisors that we're really partnering with the business and understanding each piece of the business and the risk associated with them, right? So it's we have to have that business hat on. If you don't have a business hat and you don't build those relationships with your business areas, the challenge you're going to have day in and day out is is that you don't know what you're doing, right? You can't secure and protect what you don't know you have, but you also Mm. have to help the business areas understand the risk and the risk profile that they're bringing to the table. I mean, the proper controls need to be in place. Everything needs to be is is a well-orchestrated machine, right? So we wear these hats. We have our compliance hat. We have our HR hat. We have our business hat. And, And sometimes we're wearing all the hats at one time. Um, so it's it's really um, it's really important. It's it's critical to have that business hat. Yeah, I agree. I also think you know we are that conduit. I think I mentioned it before. We're a conduit to the technologists as well because you know we have to we have to work with those deep technologists. So uh, for me, it's it is really important to understand your um, key stakeholders. Who are the key stakeholders, and they may actually extend beyond the regular boundaries of your organisation as well. So you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of um, uh, vendor management, contract management, all of that becomes part of what we do as well. So, yes, we are, I guess we are really uh, business folks. I came up from an infrastructure background. So, you know, I was uh, tech on that side and now I'm I'm certainly much more business, but I certainly still look and work with my technologists in that um, tech space. So, I guess primarily business, secondary is, is being technologists. Yeah, because I started off in actuarial and then I went into technology, and then I found myself back in technology and security over the years. And so it's, um, and now with the business hat that I have to wear every single day, um, thank God I had some of that foundational business knowledge um, to actually bring it all together. I was just going to say, it's funny that Tammy mentioned that she started doing something else like actuarial. Um, I think you'll find a lot of people who who rise to the surface in, in their professions have done that. They've done something else. I was in entertainment originally. So there you go. Oh, really? What what did you what did you do? Oh, I was I worked in radio for a while and then I was doing a whole lot of work as, uh, in logistics for rock and roll shows. You know, I wish I had known that because we could have asked you to spin some songs for us, spin some tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll do that. We'll we'll do that next time. Uh, we have a question from Twitter, and it's going back to we were talking earlier about uh, making it encouraging more women to become chief information security officers. And there's a question about what can be done to make it possible for uh, women who are over fifty who want to get involved with cybersecurity. Any thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. I don't believe, I, I am an um, anti-ageist. As far as I'm concerned, it should have nothing to do with age. It's about your capability um, in the space, whether that be from the technology space or whether it be from the business space. It's about your capability and your um, 
vision. Um, I don't think it should be about age. No, I agree about that. You know, um, I've hired um, many executives over the years, and the last thing I look at is age. Um, I think that if you're just starting to get into the cyber role and and your um, in your 40s or 50s or whatever, um, the big thing is is to focus on where you want to go and what your goals are. If it's a CISO, if you have the skill set, if you don't, get a mentor, find somebody, a trusted advisor to help you get there. Because all of us, I mean, I mentor people, I know Joe mentored, we all do. And we help folks get to that next level. So don't let age get to you. Just go for it. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a really important thing. And and certainly, um, if you don't ask, you don't get. So ask somebody. If you really would like someone to mentor you, ask them. The worst thing they can say is no, and you go to the next person. But absolutely, I think that's a really important thing as well, to have a sponsor in sometimes it can be in your organization somebody who is prepared to sponsor you to the next step as well clearly uh, you're prepared to um to do the next step do the hard work so yeah look for that actively um and i as i say i don't believe age should be an issue whether you be at the young end of the scale or the more mature end it should not make a difference and besides which when i hire i'm so terrible at guessing age you could be any age You've both mentioned mentors as really important. What are some of the characteristics of a good mentor, and especially when it comes to cybersecurity? Let me take that one um, first. I actually have what I call in my life shining lights. And these are people who I admire and I respect, and I certainly uh, respect their approaches professionally. They might not necessarily be all in cyber uh, and they're not all women, um, but they're people who have informed my career in some way. You know, in my board life, I have someone who has been my board mentor for probably 10 years now, an amazing individual who I respect, who I know is, is part of my cheer squad as well. I can ring and I know I'm going to get some sage advice or a good telling off if I need it. Um, you know, like pull yourself into shape, woman. So I, that's the sort of stuff that I, I appreciate. So I think it depends on uh, you as well as to who you choose to do that. You might like some tough love, uh, but you also might like someone who is, is, um, will gentle, gently encourage you to the next step. I think mentorship is, is really important. I've been, um, I've been writing a book actually on mentor, mentorship and success planning, um, which I'm still working on. Um, hopefully I'll get it out next year. Um, but with that, I really focus on the word of called trusted advisor. And the reason why I call it a trusted advisor is that we have our bosses and our bosses help us get to the next level and should be your coach, work coach, right? But when you're looking for a mentor, you're looking for somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you could actually have that ability to speak freely without any fear of retribution. So, you know, you might look in your company, but I would never go to my boss as my mentor, right? Um, that, but that, that doesn't work all the time. But when you're trying to find that career and you're trying to find it, focus it, even if it's a contract base, we're going to meet once a month. We're going to talk about these topics and, you know, a mentorship, we're going to do it for 18 months. And by the way, if things aren't working, we can quit. It's okay to say, mm -hmm. you know what, this mentorship's not working. But the other key piece is that sometimes I mentor four or five people at any given time, but sometimes between our schedules and Jonas, our schedules are crazy, right? Just like theirs are. 
So if I can't do a mentorship, there's a lot of people I know that could, based on what your needs are or what your aspirations are, will allow me to help you find one. And that's not to be afraid to ask. Help me find a sponsor. Help me find that trusted advisor. I think that's absolutely right, um, Tammy. And and ne- I, I would agree with you. Your boss is never your mentor. Your boss is there because they can't be they can't be giving you that pastoral care if you like on one side and then you know kicking your butt to get the figures or whatever it might be on the other side. It yeah. just doesn't really work. So you do need to look outside. They and even as a sponsor internally in the in the organisation, not necessarily your boss either. It, it should be somebody I think that that is a little bit away from it who can see can stand back and and see uh the bigger picture for you and you're right you know i i'm the same i'm mentoring about four people at the moment um a couple of which are distant they're not here in australia even so you know that's possible as well thank goodness with skype and all kinds of things you can actually continue to do that work as well so but i think it's really important and the other important part is, as as Tammy's mentioned, is you don't always click with somebody. To have a good mentor-protege relationship, you actually have to be able to relate to the other person. Right. So sometimes that can be a problem. And you can quit and you can find somebody else. That's the way it goes. And you shouldn't feel bad about that if you find the person that you've chosen for your mentor is actually not right for you. But do put a time limit on it as well. That way you can say at the end of, let's try this for three months. And if at the end of three months it doesn't work, Go look for somebody who's who's more your cup of tea. It sounds like for both of you, this concept of mentorship has been extremely important. And it sounds like for anybody who wants to enter this field, actually, it's true with any any field, uh, men or women, that this is kind of foundational. It is foundational. Absolutely. I mentor both women and men. I actually have one gentleman I mentor that is a, that is a CEO of a company at this time. So like I said, we can weave and balance however you want to do it. Um, but it's very important to have that that person you can go to and bounce ideas off of as well. And the trusted advisor idea is 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 brilliant because um, that's exactly what you become as a mentor. And it should be uh, Chatham House rules. Anything that's said in that mentoring environment stays in that mentoring environment as far as confidentiality is concerned. Um, I know I mentor one woman who who is an exceptional woman and has had some exceptional hardships in her life uh, personally. So she, but we've made, we made that rule very early on. So she can talk to me about anything that she wants to. It might actually have something to do with personal life because, and how it impacts on her professional life. So, you know, you can get to that kind of level, but it dep- again, it depends on the pairing as to whether that will work or not. And your goals. It depends on the goals of the relationship. Absolutely. Because that's the thing. You should be setting goals for for that relationship yeah. as well. What do I want to get out of this? Where do I want to go? So, you know, um, the, the wonderful woman I'm talking about, her big goal was to understand for her what work-life balance actually looked like. And I think about, we're about six months in and I think she's beginning to achieve that. So that's a really good thing. Let's shift gears here slightly, going back to something that we spoke about that you touched on earlier, which is the role of the of communication and education as part of the very crucial activities that uh, CISO performs. And, and you mentioned boards and senior executives and non-technical senior executives. And so here's my question around that. We heard the U.S. Congress uh, interviewing, grilling uh, senior execs from technology companies, and 
the, it was obvious that these folks, that, that, that these Congress people were not technical at all. They didn't even know the questions to ask. I mean, they were kind of clueless, frankly. And so how do you, how do you talk about cybersecurity issues with senior execs who are just not technical, but they're the ones who control the budget and they're the ones running the organization? How do you do that? It's really about making sure that you speak the language of business. I mean, we go back to that point again. You have to speak a language that they understand. De-geek the speak is my little motto. De-geek the speak. Because if you if it's, you geek it up, they're going to just look at you and their eyes will roll and they'll you'll lose them. You actually have to put forward a proposition that uh, hits the mark for them. So you put forward a proposition around the reputation of the organisation, around the uh, protection of the data that the organisation holds, what would happen if we had uh, an Equifax breach, you know, all of that sort of stuff is, is, is the way that you need to address it with those people. So it is educative, absolutely, but I think it's about speaking to them in a language that they understand and really talk about the impact, the risk and impact as well. That's really, uh, and the consequence of what could happen if you don't go down this path. Because it is still cyber has become such a sexy term with a lot of a lot of people that they don't realise what that means behind it, don't understand the work behind it. So yes, you have to explain what that work is behind it, but in their language. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I speak to boards a lot, and you know, you do have some technical folks occasionally on the board, and then you have some folks that aren't as technically um, knowledgeable, but they do have questions they want to ask you that they saw on the internet or they went to some board of director internal audit meeting and, and got these 10 questions to ask your CISO. And, um, you know, the reason why I'm smiling is because some of them, even if you answer them, they're not going to have any idea what they're, what you're giving them back. Right. So, but, you know, what you were saying around, you know, bringing the brand and the reputational risk and um, the big projects that are on their plate that they made investments in in last board meeting, right? Talking about the successes and the challenges around um, those initiatives are always great. Um, bringing up a topic that's in the news and then bringing it to them in, in a way that they understand. Um, I always say coloring book method. I, I like the, <laughs> I like the D geek guys, but uh, I, I always say the coloring book method is, you know, is just kind of come in there and explain to them from a risk register perspective and keep it at the highest level, but also make sure that they understand that their um, critical data and what that they have to do is their responsibility, right? They need that information still to make decisions. So very high level, making sure that we're really um, keeping it at a point where they know what to do with it. I was going to say, uh, Joe, so keep it simple and relate relate the cybersecurity impacts to the effect on the business or cybersecurity issues to the impact on the business. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. That's a way that, that you know, this, this whole piece can be understood if they know what it means to the organisation. So, you know, people will say to me, what do you do for a living? I help organisations protect their boundaries and their data. So, you know, it's about keeping it as simple as that. It's probably an understatement of what we actually do, but at least it's keeping it simple in terms that can be can be easily understood. What about uh, data and governance and the hygiene? I've heard you both talk about, use this term hygiene. What does that mean in this context? You know, 
good data hygiene means knowing where your critical data is, giving people only the access they need to um, access the data at the right time, at the right place, and making sure it's secure and you have controls around it, right? So data hygiene right now, what we find is a lot of organizations don't even know where their data is. They don't know where it's located, it's not classified, it's not secured, it's not protected. So really coming around and saying, here is the foundational things that we need to have, and part of that is the inventory of our data. Right. And we have to classify that. I don't need to protect all the data in my organization because that would be impossible. Right. But I do need to make sure that when we're cleaning things up and making sure that we're doing the right things is that 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 critical data, your crown jewels, the things that are your customer data is all in the right place with the right security controls around it. I think that's right. You know, the understanding uh, what your data is, is incredibly important. Tammy mentioned about uh, you don't know where your data is. Well, we live in a cloud world. So quite often your data is not going to be uh, local. It could very well be being um, replicated offshore. So that's something to be considered as well. Where is it being replicated to? Where does it actually live? Um, so I know that under uh, some circumstances in under Australian law, there are particular, there's particular information that has to be really protected like the crown jewels. So uh, that needs to be kept and replicated onshore. So organisations are certainly... Um, beginning to, I'm seeing the beginnings of them questioning where my data is and not just the data itself, but the backups of the data. So that replication piece is really important to understand where your data is and how that's being protected, particularly as it traverses the world. We've been talking uh, mostly about business-focused issues, but from a technology standpoint, what are some of the, the key issues or, or obstacles or challenges that you see companies face? Well, right now, I'm thinking, you know, as I talk to customers, I've been fortunate enough, like I said, I've been talking to CISOs for the last, you know, three, four years around the world. And, you know, when they look at um, initiatives or technology initiatives that come through, they're coming so fast and they don't get security involved um, in the discovery phases. So when I look at the challenges that, that organizations are having around the technology-driven projects is then making sure that security is embedded in the beginning and the discovery phases and the decision-making process. The CIO and the CISO now have to work in concert to make sure that things mm. are successful. Absolutely. Um, I actually started in this my C-suite career as a, as a, as a CIO. So um, I've seen it from both sides and, and you're absolutely right. If you don't work in concert, then you've got a, a world of pain that's going to happen to you. You absolutely have to work together to be able to ensure that, that the protections and the controls are in place that should be from, from the ground up. Um, also, you know, that's really important when I, I see and hear a lot of um, senior execs and boards talking about data breach. Breach is a really big concern these days and it's getting more so, uh, particularly as we look at, at more nation-state-style um, attacks, that's becoming a real issue for organisations. Yeah, seeing a lot of phishing, malware, social engineering, um, you know, that's been around forever, but it's, it's still the most common ways to get into the organisations. Um, you know, they're utilizing malware, they're, um, you know, using false certificates to extrapolate data that's encrypted. So they're just stealing it without you even knowing it, right? Um, the ability to send phishing emails that are so creative um, and they look so good. 
that people are getting, um, you know, ransomware attacks, et cetera, et cetera. It just continues to to uh, proliferate the whole environment. But I think it's important for organizations to continue security awareness training because people mm -hmm. still click on things. People still do it. And it's like, oh, well, do we really need this awareness again? And you're like, yeah, you really need that awareness. It's something that you have to keep fresh because we all, we all get lax. We have like seven minutes left, and we have a and there's a lot of things that that we haven't spoken about. So let me ask you uh, both a bunch of questions, and I'll ask you to give short answers, and in your short answers, to kind of summarize everything you know and have ever learned. Okay, so so number one, you were you were just talking about uh, phishing, and it's a big problem. And just very quickly, what what top level things can companies do to reduce the threat of phishing? Uh, phishing uh, awareness, uh, awareness and awareness, and also do some phishing tests in your organization. Um, a lot of some people say that they're not effective. I find that they are effective, and people get an opportunity to learn from their mistakes. Um, but education is key. Absolutely agree with that. Education is the key. There was also a, a classic um, here some years ago, the Auditor General in the state of uh, Western Australia um, was looking at the security of government organisations. So they just left around strategically USBs on people's desks or, you know, in lunchrooms. Uh, and these had a, a had a phone home effect on a dial home effect on them, and so they could see how many people didn't turn them in, didn't do anything with them, but had to because they were labelled executive salaries. And so people, of course, immediately um, stuck them into a machine. So that was a classic bit of social engineering. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, but I still see this sort of stuff happening where people will pick up a USB and go, "Yeah, great, executive salaries. I better have a look at that." So awareness, 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 communicate, 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 right from the top to the bottom and back up again. I think that's really important. We did one that said confidential on it. And on the other side, if found, return to this address. And I think we got five back out of 100. <laughs> yep, I would, I would believe it. I would believe it. And we had probably 20, I think it was like 24% shoved them into their computers. So it's about... I guess the whole thing about the awareness piece too is it's that continual education and finding for us it's it's kind of a challenge to find different ways of getting these messages across. Yeah. You can't just do the same old, same old. It sounds like you've both kind of been through a very similar exercise. As a layman outsider, I have to say I find it extraordinary to hear what you've just both been saying. You'd be surprised, Michael. There are so many of these things that you would you, you you wouldn't consider to be an issue, but still are an issue today. Such as, you know, privileged users, for instance. You know, let's get all of that out on the table too. One of the big things companies uh, have issues with is privileged users. How much how much information does this person have? What are they doing with it? Can they send it offshore? Can they send it out of the organisation? So you know, it only takes one rogue, and you've got all kinds of problems. Yeah, and and we're talking about that, right? Is like you know, yeah, user user IDs and passwords for people, right? And then the level of access they have. How do we control it? How do we control when they yeah. transfer to a new job within the same organization? Yeah. Are they getting their accesses just what they need at the right time? In addition to just uh, like I was mentioned earlier about certificates, just like machine identities, which is a huge thing yeah. right now. When we're finding more and more that people are losing data and companies are being breached because. You know, machines talk to machines, right? And they use keys and certificates, right? So we secure and protect the identities of people, but we're not securing and protecting the identities of machines. 
I, it's, it's a huge problem. Okay. Again, as we kind of finish up here, what advice do you have to organizations regarding to, to senior, senior level managers, not necessarily the board, to senior level managers? And really quickly, so what advice do you have for those folks? Joe, want to start with you? Yeah, absolutely. Use your chief information security officer uh, as a confidant almost. Make sure that you work in concert with that person uh, make sure that they understand your requirements and you understand the requirements. I think that working in concert is really, really important. And this sounds like, you know, I've got a tip for you. Listen to your chief information security officer. Okay. And then, Tammy, uh, what's the difference between a CIO and a CISO? A CIO and a CISO are both there to protect and manage assets and information, right? But from two different viewpoints. And that's a good thing, all right? From example, CIO's function is really to ensure systems and information is available and accessible to whoever needs it. Whereas the CISO's function is really to make sure that that information that's available is accessible and has the proper controls in place, right? To make sure that only the people that need it have access to it. And then it's secured and protected in the way it's supposed to be. And then as we finish up, what advice do you have? Uh, I'll ask each of you, what advice do you have for women? You mentioned this earlier, but for women who want, who are watching you and they say, I don't know how to get to that point. What do I do? What advice do you have? I would say um, certainly hook into the She Leads Tech program. That's one way you can connect with other women and you can network with other women and you don't know what opportunity that might lead to. Very quick story. I was sitting on a sofa in a bar in Chicago, Illinois, talking to some fellow ISACA members and a another Australian came up to me and said, do you like the job that you're currently doing? I went, well, yeah, it's great. And they said, do you like the organisation? Yeah, it's great. Would you consider taking another role? And in six weeks, I had a brand new job. So those sort of things where you hook into those programs where there are like-minded people that you can network with, that could be your story too, that that next job is just around the corner. Tammy, what are your thoughts? And uh, really quickly, because I have another question that I have to ask you both. <laughs> okay, no, no worries. You know, I, I think that from a woman's perspective, get involved with She Leads Tech. Um, there's the Executive Women's Forum, um, which is a really great opportunity for you to get involved in. Find a mentor, uh, reach out, be confident, be good in your own skin. And the one thing I want to mention is if you want to apply for a job, Women look at, uh, at job recommendations and they say that they have to almost meet 100% of the requirements before they apply for it, whereas a man does about 50% of that and applies for it. From This was a study. This was a study. It's not a Tammy Ties thing. It's a study. And the thing that ended up happening is that we as women, you know, if you have 80%, if you have 60%, apply for the jobs. Take a chance. Okay, we're 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 out of time, but one more, one last question uh, regarding getting more women involved. What advice do you have for corporate leaders? I encourage corporate leaders to make sure that they actually have programs and diversity programs within their organization. As I stated earlier, diversity is more than just bringing more women in, right? It's really bringing that diverse talent and bringing the right people in for the job. 
but the way that you can bring more women in is uh, I know at Accenture, um, I'm involved in the diversity program and my focus is bringing more women into Accenture. They have a program that, you know, they have by 2025, they want 50% of the workforce women and they're well on their way to there. So it's really just making sure your company is focused on it, but also volunteer, go to HR, volunteer your time. Employers, my, my uh, piece of advice is take the bias out. Take the bias out of the way you recruit. Yep. Make it so as it is uh, working arrangements can be flexible to allow people to pick up primary carers, to pick up and drop off kids at school, for instance. Um, that's really important. And that actually is good for men as well who are in that position. Um, but absolutely take the bias out. Try and interview as many women as men for these roles uh, and certainly do it on merit though. I'm I'm with Tammy on that. You always have to recruit on merit. Just take the bias out of your your approach. And make sure you're paying fairly. That's that's a big thing that that human resources and, and the comp teams need to really understand. It's very important to make sure that the women's salaries are catching up to the men's. And my advice to women on that is if you're asked what your current salary is, make sure you go in armed with what the salary in the market for that role is. We sometimes do ourselves a disservice by being incredibly honest and saying, oh, I'm making 50K, uh, where in fact the job is worth 80. So, you know, you have to make sure that you go in well-armed as well, ladies. Okay, we're, we're out of time. Um, let me just ask you one last thing. Just given everything you know about security, what's the final piece of advice that you have to offer to any of the constituencies that you want? Just really briefly. Be involved. I guess my, my I, it was probably the best turning point in my career when I went from CIO to CISO. Um, and I, so I, be involved. Um, if you want a job in this, this field, it's possible if you want to uh, protect your business, be involved with security. So, I mean, really, from every perspective, you have to be a part of the security sphere, given the world that we live in. Okay. And it looks like, uh, Tammy, you're going to get the final word here. Well, Joe spoke really clearly on it, but I'm telling you, the main thing you want to do is, is be involved, be passionate, love what you do every day. Focus on doing the right things right and for the right reason. Keep your integrity and your sleeve. That's the most important part of who we are as security leaders. And make sure that you build solid and maintain those relationships because it'll help others come into the business as we find ways to move into different areas of the business ourselves. Okay, we are out of time. Man, that was a, another fast, fast show. We've been speaking with two amazing chief information security officers. And I'd like to say thank you to you both. Uh, Tammy, thank you for being here and I hope you come back another time. Thank you. And Joe, thank you for being here at four in the morning Australian time. Uh, and I hope you'll come back as well and let's, let's do it once, once again. I'd love to, Michael, and the birds are just waking up. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day. Uh, be sure to go to CXOTalk.com. We have lots and lots of similar and great, great videos. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Oh, and also follow CXOTalk at CXOTalk on Twitter. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a good one. Bye-bye.